Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, welcome back to Across the Romaverse. It's the day after Roma fell to Juventus again at the Allianz Stadium. This is episode 63. It's Steve here as usual. Uh, with me today is Brandon. Jimmy couldn't make it because of family obligation. We don't know maybe if he just didn't want to talk about another loss to Juventus. Uh, but Brandon and I are here to do the talking and hopefully make sense of yet another loss at the hands of Juventus. So Brandon, how are you doing on this Monday afternoon, about 24 hours after uh, the final whistle blew? Uh, I'm about as good as can be right now. I wish I, um, you know, also had a family obligation so I could avoid talking <laughs> about the frustrating aspects of this game. But other than that, I can't complain. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the word you, you said there, frustrating, I, I think was the best way to describe how I felt post-match yesterday. It wasn't even anger. You know, some matches make you angry when you lose. This was just frustration, and we'll get into why there was so much frustration. But uh, Juve tends to do that to us. So we'll get into the background of this match. Uh, Roma entered on a bit of an up and down. They were three wins, two losses in their last five in the league uh, with the losses sandwiched in between the, the three wins. Um, Juve, though, entered on a three-match win streak, which was uh, a good run of form for them considering they started the season uh, two, win, uh, two losses, two draws, rather. So they were building up. Roma entered with a four-point edge on them in the table, sitting fourth. Roma was looking you know, pretty decent. Um, trying to get their monkey off the back against top sides, though. The only win last season and really in the whole Fonseca spell against top sides were meaningless matches against Lazio at the end of last season. I think the, the Juve win the season before after the COVID restart, also pretty much a meaningless match. So the record against top sides, not very good under these two Portuguese managers so far, albeit Marino just taking over only one match to his name so far against Lazio. Um, Romanta with a big doubt, which is Tammy Abraham, uh, for the starting 11, he was injured playing for England about 15 minutes in. We talked about that last Tuesday when we were on, I was a little, I, I can't say I was surprised he started the match Brandon, but I, I guess maybe a little unexpected considering it was kind of so up in the air, I guess, huh? Yeah. I, yeah, I tend to agree with that. I think, um, 
you know, he he's Mourinho's clear first choice. So, and you know, this is a huge game with Champions League implications. So it's not a huge surprise just based on knowing what we know about Mourinho that he went with him, but strictly based on you know the the injury aspect and um and it's not like Shemurdov isn't somebody who also Mourinho has faith faith in so I also I, I kind of was surprised but you know I just figured it up to like put your big players in for the big games no matter what type of thing yeah that's what it seemed like to me in the, in the projected 11 the day before because Mourinho's comments made it sound like bench or stands I, I put Shemurdov in the starting 11 projected but I also did put a sentence it wouldn't surprise me if Abraham sorry because we've seen crazier things happen and I have to say he looked pretty pretty mobile he looked pretty agile didn't seem like the ankle gave him too much of an issue yeah 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 I agree um it's it's fun at a point during the game um I noticed that he seemed like a little down in terms of like body language and I thought I was kind of just making it up just like a little PTSD from Jekko and then the commentator pointed it out too and I was like I was like, is it this a product of like, you know, the scoreline or is it, you know, him being frustrated about the injury? Um, so I thought that was like an interesting thing that was, you know, noticeable to a few people, obviously. Yeah. And there was one point he was really trying to rally the the troops, so to speak. He, you know, he's quick and he got ahead on the break and he had like no one to pass to, no one to lay the ball off to. Right. And he kind of had to do it on his own. And you could kind of see him like waving his two arms, like, come on, come on, pick it up. So yeah, I mean, I, I guess a little more rah-rah than Jekko has been at times, but we hope that it doesn't become a, uh, um, you know, a similar situation if things don't go his way. He's not scoring goals because of uh, team issues. But, you know, it could be a product of Juve, like you said. It's it's tough oh, yeah. to play against Chiellini and Bonucci, and we'll get into that in a bit. So with Abraham in, Mourinho pretty much played his starting 11 that he prefers. He was asked about Vigna on Saturday. He said Vigna was fine. Vigna looked fine, even though he played three times for Uruguay. Over the international break, only played, I think, the first half of the Thursday match, which probably helped him in terms of his legs a bit. Um, and then the big the big thing really coming into the match, besides the fact that Roma hasn't been good against top sides the past couple of seasons, is that they have not been good at the Allianz Stadium at all in its history. They only won the one match, which we referenced a couple summers ago, uh, which was pretty much meaningless. They won that match. Other than that, they had nine losses, eight in the league, one in the Coppa Italia. So <laughs> Roma was up against history in a, in a, in a way, uh, negative history for them to be the first team to ever lose 10 at the Allianz. Uh, something we'll get into a little bit later because it, it did happen. So we'll get into the match summary. Uh, we'll talk about a couple of the key events together, but then we'll get into some main talking points that we took away from the match. So the match started, uh, Federico Bernardeschi was actually pretty much Juve's danger man throughout the match. So the, the guy who's much maligned uh, of the two Federicos on the pitch, he's usually the one that gets the flack. And Chiesa gets the the praises, but Bernardeschi was pretty good yesterday. And he had his first shot two minutes in, not a real dangerous shot, but it was a signal of intent from him. Uh, and then a couple minutes later, Karsdorp was fouled by DeCilio. Pellegrini put in a free kick that was headed by Mancini. Pretty solid header, but straight down the middle, saved by uh, our old friend Chesney. And in the sixth minute, it was a good early 10 minutes from Roma, wouldn't you say, Brandon? Yeah, and we talked about that, you know, in the last pod a little bit about um, what with the Q&A, what um, we need to do to get the win against Juve. And we talked a little bit about um, the need to starting to start well out of the gate. And that's, yeah, like you were saying, first 10, 15 minutes or so, they were doing well. Um, and, you know, the result didn't go our way. But I think that's something that generally continued throughout the match. It's partially due to, um, you know, just Juve's style under Allegri, but also we played well in stretches and you thought the goal was going to come but 
I think it was huge that we, you know, started on the front foot to get um, the game started because just so often we see that's not the case and Roma go down early, which, you know, <laughs> similar thing happened here kind of, but at least, you know, the, the intent was different. Yeah, the intent was definitely there from Roma to, to go at Juventus, which was which was good to see because we talked about that. They've had some slow starts and they were the aggressor the first about 15 minutes. And then unfortunately, as Brandon just alluded to, uh, about I think it was the 16th minute officially is what the goal was registered at. It was a cross by DeShilio. He whipped it around. Zaniola was defending him. Uh, it was headed by Keane initially, then fell to Bentecourt who headed it back across and it kind of just kind of grazed off of Keane's head. He had no idea it was happening. It did go in the net. Uh, Patricio, because the, the deflection, he kind of got flat wrong footed a bit. Uh, Ibanez was the man that was initially beat in the air by Keane. And uh, it was one, nothing Juve. And I don't know about you, Brandon, but I said to myself, like, here we go again, usual BS. We, you know, we're, yeah. we're on the front <laughs> foot a bit against Juve. And then here we are down one, nothing just 16 minutes in. Yeah, ten thousand um, percent. I, I don't even think that I reacted uh, when that goal went in, just because that's you know par for the course when you play against Juve specifically, um, creating something out of nothing, especially you know the balance of play up to that point. And yeah, at, at that point, I was like, well, I at least tried to reverse jinx the result in our last podcast prediction. So. <laughs> I was like, maybe, maybe, maybe it'll turn at some point, but. Yeah, it's just, it's just one of those things. It's like, it seems like against Juve, it just happens. And then the problem, of course, now, especially with Allegri back in charge, as we saw through the rest of the matches, they set up that low block and they're happy to absorb pressure, especially with Bonucci and Chiellini back there. And it got worse for Roma in the 21st minute when Nicolo Zoniolo went down. Seemed like he would come out right away, got looked at by the staff and then you know, he continued to play. It seemed like he was running okay. And then five minutes later, they decided to pull him probably out of an abundance of precaution. What were your initial thoughts when you saw him down and they were looking at his knee area? Um, so when I, when I first saw him go down, it didn't look like he was holding his knee. So I just thought it was, you know, related to his, um, the muscle fatigue he was experiencing um, over the international break. And then when they started talking about his knee, I was like, oh, here we go. Um and then, you know, I felt I felt OK about it when I when I saw him, um, you know, get back out there and start running on the pitch. But when El Shirari came in to replace him, I actually wasn't extremely worried um, just because, you know, as you mentioned, it seemed more like an abundance of caution that he can't continue because clearly, you know, for a couple of minutes or so, he he gave it a shot. Um at that, you know, in, in terms of the game, though, when he came out and El Shirari came on as much as I love SES at the same time what Zaniola was doing up to that point which was you know doing his best to grab the game by the scruff of its neck um I can't combine with you know U of A's Allegri uh, Allegri's U of A teams um being known for that low block I was like I don't know if we're gonna get a goal today um just because it seemed like everything was going through Zaniolo yeah those first 20 minutes so it seemed like a lot was going through him when he went down too, it didn't look like he grabbed his knee. I thought he was grabbing more his hamstring area, but I guess it was maybe right. the the connection to the knee. Uh, good news today. I saw that there is no kind of tears or anything to that extent. So we'll see what they say about it in the coming days. But even if he misses, say, Napoli and Milan, that's not the end of the world, considering we've seen him miss full season. So, um, yeah, so Roma had to go without Zaniol, who was their most dangerous attacker up to that point, about the 25th minute. 
El Shrari showed a little flashes here and there, but of course, very different player than Zaniolo. Uh, the next big action really didn't happen until almost halftime when and we can say Tammy Abraham, we can say Henrik Mkhitaryan. One of them drew a penalty kick. I'm assuming it was Mkhitaryan who the, the foul was initially awarded to because uh, Chesney got the yellow card. It was Abraham came in. He got tripped up by, I believe it was Ben Tucker. Uh, the ball went to Mkhitaryan, who then was fouled by what was next, Chesney. The ball bounced to Tammy Abraham, who put it in the back of the net, but the penalty was awarded. They didn't play play on. We know Daniele Orsato already has a history with the Roma-Juve matches. What was your initial reaction to the fact that it was not ruled a play on there, Brandon? Because I know now, especially with VAR, they, they want the refs to play on with the offsides, with the fouls, with all these different things. And he was very quick with the whistle. Yeah, I mean... I, I go back, I've been going back and forth on this. I think ultimately I understand the decision to, to blow it dead just because, you know, you have so many bodies in the box already. And so when you see that foul, you probably, um, you know, if you're that certain it's a pen, I can understand calling it. Um, obviously I see the other side of it of letting it play in case, you know, ball falls in the back of the net, but I think, um, with the context of what happened after with Tammy um, missing that pen, um, you know, that, that we're, we're more up in arms about it because of that. And I think, you know, if Veritu slots it away as we're accustomed to seeing, I don't think it's really that big of a deal. And, you know, you'd have more people on both sides of the, the issue. Yeah, I, I agree. I, you know, if Veritu puts the ball on the back of the net, there's no discussion because nobody really even thinks twice about it because it's a right. one-one match. Uh, the fact that Vertu missed the penalty uh, makes it more of a talking point. And, you know, a lot of the people, if you saw the post-match show here in the States, they had a refereeing expert come on and say he made the mistake to blow the whistle when he did. But at the same time, there was a touch by Mkhitaryan as he went down with his arm. Um, even disagreement with that because Mike Grella, who's on the Paramount post-game show with Giuseppe Rossi and some of these other guys said he didn't necessarily agree that it was a handball because the way the, the play happened. So you could argue this play all day long but in the end Roma had a chance to to level it they got a penalty kick which is rare um and and they didn't convert uh which is surprising did you think think he was gonna make it when he stepped up you know it's funny because usually you're so confident when Vertu steps up and it was it was interesting because Orsato blew once to kind of signal go ahead and he didn't go right away and then I don't know if Orsato had to then you know, he's still looking at the guys on the line. And then it was almost like Vertu hesitated a bit yeah, to, in yeah. his run-up, which made me think, oh, I don't know. Like, it kind of gives you that hesitation because the guy who's usually so good, he was 13 for 13 prior, you would expect him to just confidently run up. And he did not take it well. He took it low to the left, but it was like maybe three feet to Chesney's left. Chesney right. kicked right <laughs> and then just dove left. Like, he baited Vertu into kicking it there. Uh, didn't place it in a corner. And when you don't place it in a corner, the goalie's got a chance. Right. Yeah. I, I think for me, I, um, I think, I think originally the commentator mentioned how like Tammy was standing over um, the ball, which he was, and then, you know, Veritu took it from him. Mm. And then I think in the middle of that, and I was like, ah, um, and then, you know, what you were referencing regarding uh, the ref and line and keeping players outside the box. Um, I was just like, I don't know. Uh, I have a bad feeling about this. And um, I feel like you can always tell. Like mm-hmm. when they're going to miss it. And I, I definitely had that feeling and, you know, he did miss it, but which is unfortunate because as you said, he's usually so consistent. Yeah. And Mourinho addressed what you were talking about with Tammy because Tammy, you know, made the play that really started the whole thing that drew the penalty. And we know Tammy is 
ambitious. He's goal hungry. He's a striker. You want your strikers to be hungry for goals. Um, but Vertu decided, you know, I'm first in the pecking order. I'm going to take the penalty. And eventually, you know, Abraham relented and kind of gave him a let, let's go. You got this kind of thing. I don't know if it was a pat on the back, but he did something. I remember that signal. OK, I'm, I'm good with it. Like you're the you're the man. And Mourinho did address it after. And he said, we have a hierarchy for penalties. Vertu is the primary. Then there's Pellegrini and Abraham is third in line. But in the heat of the moment, if someone wants to take the penalty and Jordan decides to let him, that's not a problem for me. But Vertu obviously didn't want to let him. And you wonder if that even got in Vertu's head a little bit because it puts a little more pressure because then if if you make it great but if you miss it everybody's like well Tammy wanted the penalty too would Tammy have made it so um tough going for Roma either way because they could have gone into halftime level probably changes the game a bit because Roma like we had said early was the aggressor I think Roma would have been confident if they had gone in level considering the way the match had played out for 45 minutes instead they went to halftime down one nothing Possession was 50-50. Roma had outshot Juve on goal 4-1. to one. Uh, What were your thoughts at halftime? I really was lamenting the missed pen just because, you know, when, when, when Zaniola went down and after um, Juve took the lead, um, like I mentioned before, I, you know, I kind of thought, oh, I don't know if we're going to score today. And, you know, with that, with that pen opportunity, there was our chance to level the game and have the game open back up a little bit. And so going back into the, going, going into the half, um, I was just like, we're really going to rue missing that pen because they're just going to do another 45 minutes of sitting in that low block um, and frustrating us. And, you know, it didn't seem like that game was going to be the game where somebody had a moment of brilliance just based on the chances we were creating thus far. And I was, so yeah, it was kind of frustrating going into it. Yeah, for sure. I have to say the same thing, you know, especially when you missed the penalty about three minutes before halftime and there was a pretty long, uh, I think they actually gave like five minutes of stoppage time at the first half because of all the controversy and everything, but it just, it just leaves you with that bitter taste in your mouth going into halftime. And you know, it's Juve. So any chance you have, you, you want to take advantage and Roma didn't take advantage. And as we saw in the second half, it came back to bite them because they, they couldn't find the goal. So uh, second half, there was a couple chances on each side. Bernardeschi had a lovely overhead kick about three minutes in. Luckily for Roma, it was straight at Paul Lopez, who was got down. I said, Paul Lopez. Oh my goodness. Rui Patricio <laughs> uh, got down and saved it. And luckily Moise Keen uh, skied it over the bar. It was, it should have been really a tap in and he, yeah. he just kind of skied it. Um, in the 53rd minute, there was a little bit of a talking point because Pellegrini went down to the box with Chiellini getting a piece of him. Uh, no penalty was called on that. What did you make of that? No penalty call, Brandon. Uh, I completely agree with the no call. I think, um, on replay, it actually showed like Pellegrini made contact with Chiellini first and, um, on the follow through got clipped by him. Um, so yeah, I, I think that, you know, if there's a call to be upset about, it's probably, um, not letting play, not allowing play to go on um, in the Abraham chance, but this one it didn't bother me at all. I, I you know, at first I thought, yeah, for sure, but it, on replay it's pretty clear to see that is no big deal. Yeah, I, at first glance, you know, I shouted penalty. Of course, we all want a penalty. <laughs> yeah, you have to. Um, <laughs> yeah, you have to, especially when you're losing one nothing to you right. and it's Chiellini putting in the foul. You're like, that doesn't happen right. very often. Uh, and Chiellini did get Pellegrini's ankle. Pellegrini did get down, had to get the magic spray, and was okay after, but. Before he got his ankle, Pellegrini's uh, studs just did rake across the top of, I think, Chiellini's shin, which kind of initiated the contact. If it was the other way around and it was initiated by Chiellini, they'd probably go back on bar and 
and and award it because VAR did look at it. We saw quite a few angles of it, and it was it was the right call in the end. Um, and that was in the 53rd minute. In the next 10 minutes or so, Bernardeschi had a shot wide. Vertu had a, a very nice shot wide, uh, trying to make up for that missed penalty. He almost curled one in, didn't go. Both of them were off target. Uh, Keeling had a big block of Matias Vina in the 72nd minute or so, where Vina dribbled in and got by a couple of Juve defenders. And of course, Keeling's big foot got in at the last ditch. Uh, and that is the last I can recall Roma really coming close in the match. You know, there's about 20 minutes more. Mourinho was a bit upset because there's only three minutes of stoppage time. Uh, the ref wasn't having it, didn't really care. And the match ended one, nothing. Um, so just a, a few numbers to throw at you here. Uh, Roma had the XG advantage at 1.4 to 0.8. So it kind of shows that Roma was a little bit hard done, not scoring considering their XG was 1.4. They did win the possession battle barely about 52 change to 47 change. So a little bit more possession than Juve. Um, 15 total shots for Roma, four on target, four total shots for Juve, two on target. So Roma certainly was the team with more uh, chances on goal. Juve in this match had no corner kicks. Uh, which kind of shows that there wasn't much going on in Roma's end. Um, Juve had 20 tackles to Roma's 10, which shows, you know, as we discussed earlier, Juve was doing more defending. And and this was one that jumped out at me. And this is a number I'm going to put in my four key figures in this match piece that's coming out tomorrow on the site. Juve had 29 clearances to just five for Roma. So, I mean, that kind of, that kind of talks about the flow of the match on Brandon. Yeah, definitely. I think when I was watching the match, um, the graphic popped up that Roma had six or seven corners and Juve had zero. And I could not believe that. Um, and yeah, going based on going off the stat you mentioned regarding the clearances, that's also, you know, speaks to how the game went where um, it's, it's not like Roma played their worst game that I've ever seen. Um, they held Juve to a single goal that kind of came off of against a run of play. And, you know, if, before the game, if if you tell Mourinho that's the only goal that you're going to give up, I'm sure he takes it and assumes that we'll get maybe one or two going the other way. So, um, yeah, it, that that it does really tell the story of the game, though. Just you know how content Juve were to just sit back in that low block and frustrate us all night. Yeah, for sure. Uh, a couple other numbers, you know, Roma had 19 interceptions to Juve's 11, which shows that they kind of did a nice job in the midfield. I recall Roma intercepting quite a few passes in the midfield to even start um, a couple dangerous chances. Juve did dominate in the air a little bit, 16 aerials, one to nine. It's always tough to play against that back line of Chiellini, Bonucci. Locatelli is a big guy now in the midfield and, and a couple other trees that they have back there. So, you know, Tammy had a tough time in the air. A couple of the Roma players had a tough time in the air, which, you know, Roma could be dangerous on set pieces. The only time I recall them being dangerous in the air was Mancini's early chance. Other than that, not much doing. We've seen them dangerous in other opportunities. So numbers tell a bit of the story and we're going to talk about some of the key talking points. So we'll take a quick commercial break and then we're going to break down some of the the main talking points here. All right. And we're back. So key talking points here. Uh, I think we have to start at the fact, Brandon, that this is Roma's 10th loss in 11 trips to the Allianz stadium. I mean, which starts to beg the question, is this Roma any different? Because we've seen so many different incarnations of Roma come to the Allianz stadium. Now, now when they were playing Juve, when Roma was at their best, Juve was at their best. We saw Spalletti's, you know, Roma, which was uh, a all-time point setter for the club record, go to the Allianz and lose. We've seen them get screwed over at the Allianz before by Orsato specifically. Um, but this time around, it felt like going in. This Juve was more vulnerable maybe than other Juves we've seen. 
and Roma couldn't get it done. So is this Roma really any different is I think what a lot of Romanisti are now asking themselves. Uh, short, and, well, short answer is no, they're not. I mean, we're not even six months removed from a seventh place finished um, a year ago under Fonseca. So um, it's going to take time to, you know, get to where U of A is, where even if they have an off year, there still are Scudetto contenders. And, you know, it takes a really great year for us to be, um, you know, in that conversation for them, whether they're having an off year or not, they're kind of in that conversation. So it's, yeah. And, 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 you know, like I said, six months removed or yeah, six months removed from um, that seventh place finish. We can't really expect drastic changes overnight, but I think what you want to look for in these games is, um, you know, progress from game to game. And I think we saw that yesterday for the most part, I think maybe in seasons past, previous iterations of that team once they go a goal down they you know give up one not too long after and then the game ends 2-0 or um you know they get they get picked apart and end up losing 3-1 or something like that and um you know the, it, even though Roma were chasing the game the whole game um for the most part and giving Juve an opportunity to hit them on the counter I wasn't really worried about Juve scoring again um and that's certainly something that I you know, haven't been able to say in the past. So I think, you know, the short answer is no, but we are still seeing some growth from previous iterations of the team. Yeah, I have to say, you're right. I mean, it, like you said, we're really only six months removed from a seventh place finish. Marino's only had about a few months to work with the side and they came out on the right foot, which other, you know, versions of this Roma might not have come out as gung-ho as this one did in the first 10, 15 minutes. But it's, again, it's Juve, and they they lose at this, the the Allianz or the J, whatever you want to call it, whether it's an original name or now it's you know corporate name. But Roma always has trouble playing there. You know, they we've seen them go to San Siro, and when we've seen them go to Naples, and when we've seen them go other big venues, and when Lazio, when they're quote unquote away, and uh, and these other matches. But for whatever reason, there there's just this curse over you know the old lady over here, the Vecchia Signora, just has a, has her little spell over them. And, um, but like you said, in, so in short answer, no, but I think the way they responded, I think does show a little bit of a shift because you're right. They didn't give up that second goal and completely give it away where then they gave up a goal 10, 15 minutes later. And by halftime, it's two, nothing gets over, you know, this time around, they, they hung with them throughout the match. And, and I wasn't that worried either about them scoring. I mean, that Bernardeschi chance was a pretty, you know, nice play on his part to do the overhead. And luckily Kane, Kane uh, skied it over, but other than that, they didn't really scare me. Even Bernardeschi's shot that was wide, low to the right, wasn't that close. It was close, but it was no closer than Ver too. So um, not much, you know, going their way. And, and their XG, I think, was a 0.8 or something. And most of that, 0.7 of it was Keynes. And I'm sure a lot of that was the one he skied over the bar. So, right. you know, I think we did see – I think we're starting to slowly see this shift in mentality. We talk about the mentality all the time under Mourinho because this team for so long has been like – take take one to the gut and then crumble you know uh they didn't do that in this match and yeah obviously Juve approached in a way where they were content sitting back and defending but one guy who really was stifled was Federico Chiesa I had this as our third talk point but we could talk about it now because it kind of connects and you know Chiesa was I, I was texting my buddy who wasn't watching the game he, he's a Lazio fan but we you know 
he was asking me for updates and I said, it's like Kiez is not even playing. I, you know, I can't recall Kiez ever being dangerous yesterday. Bernardeschi was the danger man. So, you know, when you silence a guy who was a big reason why Italy won the Euro cup, I, you must be doing something right. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, even when Juve won one to Chelsea, um, under, you know, similar, similar style of play, um, getting that goal and sitting back, Kiesa was still, you know, terrorizing Chelsea that whole game. And so it's, you know, it's a credit um, to the players on, on the defense to, um, for stifling him. I think it's a little bit partially due to the strategy, but um, because, you know, there was, there was many a time where, where Kiesa and Keane were, you know, basically in the UVA box at the top of the UVA box um, first line of defense, but, you know, they, they, they did have their opportunities to break out and um, that's probably, you know, when Kays is at his most dangerous and they were able to stifle mm-hmm. him. And, um, you know, aside from an opportunity here or there, really not anything particularly noteworthy. So yeah, just a credit to the, to the defense. Yeah, for sure. You know, they, they, they defended well, Rome. It was just the one play that they got beat because like you said, Chiesa is at his most dangerous on the counterattack. We've seen it with Italy. We've seen it with Juve recently against Chelsea, where he was the guy, he was the danger man. He was the one giving Chelsea all kinds of problems. And he only had 23 touches in 70 minutes. The same goes for Keane, but you know, he's a striker. So you expect for him to touch the ball a little less, but Chiesa, you'd expect him to, to run at people, dribble at people. He only had one unsuccessful dribble uh, of his 13 carries of the ball. Only one was progressive, which is going, you know, uh, at least five yards forward into the opponent's half kind of thing toward the opponent's half. So credit to Roma where it's due. They, they stifled Juve's counter because that's where Juve would have looked to get their second goal. So certainly some positives to take from this one. We can't just, you know, say, oh, they lost again. They stink. You know, they can never win at Juventus because they showed some of the the attributes needed to, to find a way to win. So we got to hope that they do carry this into some of their upcoming matches. Um, but again, Roma difficulty breaking down a low block. Most of their attacks came down the wings, not so much down the middle. Understandable, I guess, when Keeling and Bonucci are patrolling it with Locatelli in front of them. But I looked at the, the possession numbers for Roma, and in terms of touches, the most touches on the team came from Rick Karsdorp with 91. Um, Vina had 56. So a lot down the wings. Mkhitaryan, 59. Um, you know, Pellegrini always gets his touches. He had 72. So did the two midfielders are in the 60s. But the fact that Karsdorp had 91 shows a lot about how Roma was trying to break out and spring the counters. A lot down the, the right wing this time around, huh? Yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, it's I know it's a little bit off topic, but... Um you mentioned Pellegrini's numbers and it kind of reminded me how, you know, anonymous he felt in the game compared to, um, you know, previous outings from him. And, um, you know, he wasn't able to um, participate in the Lazio game based on the the red card, but I feel like it's a little bit of a trend that we're seeing with him in the big games in which he's not as impactful as we would otherwise like him to be. Um, And, you know, I think you can tie that into um, you know, the offense being facilitated through Karsdorp for most of the match. Um, if you combine Pellegrini having an off night combined with um, just Juve's defensive prowess on its own, it makes sense that Karsdorp is getting that amount of touches, but it's still a little concerning that, um, you know, in the big matches, sometimes Pellegrini's not there. Yeah, tough match for Pellegrini. And, and I'm glad you brought that up because there wasn't something I looked at prior, but I just looked at his passing numbers while you were talking and he was only 40 of 58 for a 69% pass completion percentage, which is is low for him. 
uh, especially the guy who's facilitating the offense. Tough to go through the middle, but uh, Roman needs him to be a little bit better. He did create the, the most shot creating actions with four. So he wasn't completely, you know, stifled by, by Juve, but definitely not to the level we've seen him in recent weeks. Uh, you wonder how much maybe Zaniolo's absence added to the pressure on him because it's a little bit easier to key on him when uh, El Shirari's on the wing uh, rather than Zaniolo because of the different attributes they have. Um, you know, Mkhitaryan, his number, he was under 80% passing. El Shirari was at 762 So that kind of attacking trio behind Tammy had a tough time distributing the ball, uh, especially as they got closer to goal. And that has a lot to do with those clearances we talked about for Juve. Anytime the ball was coming in and around the area, they were just you know, when in doubt, cleared out, kind of goes the old saying, and they were just clearing it out, give Roma a throw in, give him a corner, you know, for a few times and, and just defend. And that's that Allegri, um, you know, staple. Um, but let's go back to Zaniolo because his injury, I think, impacted the match. Uh, you had mentioned early on the first 20 minutes, he was Roma's danger man. And it's funny because I mentioned, I, I went on Calcio Connection uh, last week too, the day after we recorded this one. And my bold prediction, I was on there with two Juve guys and, and a, another Roma fan. And I, you know, my bold prediction at the end was Zaniel would score a goal in a, in a 2-1 Roma win. Of course, Roma didn't win, but it did feel like for the 25 minutes that Zaniel was on the pitch, he was the most dangerous man for Roma. And it was a shame he went off because my bold prediction went out the window 25 minutes. And I guess I should stop making these bold predictions because prior to the derby, I said that, uh, and it was before the Udinese match that Pellegrini, uh, I wanted to see how he would respond to the derby pressures as the captain. Well, that went out the window before the match even started too. So I might just, zip, I just might just zip my lips before the Napoli and the Milan matches. But um, in your opinion, how much did the Zaniola injury really affect Roma's attack in this one? Yeah. Well, first off, no more big game predictions. Yeah, <laughs> those are done. <laughs> you can afford it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head, um, you know, with, with the impact with him coming off. Um it, it really sucked the wind out of, you know, my sales at least, and I'm sure to some extent the teams just um, based on how well he was playing to that point. And, um, you know, the, the, uh, the last few episodes we've talked about how Zaniolo is overdue, Zaniolo is overdue, it's going to come, it's going to come. And that, it was really starting to feel like it was going to be that game for him. And um, yeah, so, which is why it's so deflating that, you know, he had to come off and, um I think it, you know, reinvigorated Juventus a little bit because now you don't have this wrecking ball coming at you for another, you know, 70 minutes or however long was left in the game. Um, El Shirari is dangerous, but a different profile, like you mentioned. So um, a different way to defend, probably not as, um, you know, heavy metal style as Zaniola would be. So um, it definitely changed the match. And, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I kind of felt at that point being a goal down and him out um, that we, that we weren't going to score probably. Yeah. And I'm, I'm looking at his numbers. The guy played officially 25 minutes. Some of that, he, a couple of minutes that he was even off. So you're probably looking at 22, 23 minutes played in that time. He had 17 touches. Uh, he had three shot creating actions. He was nine of 10 on his passing at 17 carries. If you weigh that over the course of 90 minutes, he is super impactful. He even had two successful dribbles out of three attempts. Roma's leading dribble guy in the match was Tammy at four for four. Nobody else had more than two besides, uh, you know, Zaniolo was level with Pellegrini and Vertu who played almost the whole match. So it just shows in, in those tw roughly 22, 23 minutes, he was actually on the pitch for, he was very impactful. You know, you weigh that, you multiply that times four or so he's got, you know, touches pretty close to what Pellegrini had his shot creating actions are through the roof. If, if he could have kept up that pace. 
So it really, I thought, made Juve's job of defending in a low block so much easier because he's the danger man running at you. Tammy also, because Tammy had some interesting chances and he was very good at dribbling yesterday. But a combination of Tammy and Zaniola makes Pellegrini's life easier, makes Mkhitaryan's life easier, and really puts you know, Juve under a lot of pressure because he can go physical with Bonucci, Chiellini, whereas El Shirari can't. El Shirari, we know, is more of a finesse player. He had a nice turn, I recall, at one point to set up a, a, a counterattack, um, but not the same kind of player. Even compared to Tammy, he's a much more physical player in terms of his build. So I thought it affected the match a lot. I can't say Roma would have won or not won without him. It's hard to say, just like Pellegrini in the Derby. But certainly took some wind out of Roma sales. Uh, and, and the other players certainly had to be worried about him too, knowing the, what he's been through. Uh, so that brings us to his use. So the fact that he went down with a, a knee issue from what they're saying, not nothing serious, thankfully. Um, what does that say about his use? Cause you know, recently I said I was fine with it because he looked like he was responding well, but now maybe, it, maybe I was wrong. Yeah, I think, um, you know, one, it's a good, it's a good call that they made to keep him um, on the sidelines for the international break and not let him go to um, the Italy camp. But yeah, I, t- I, I, I'm kind of in the same boat as you where I thought, okay, they're, you know, they're managing his minutes well enough um, because it wasn't like he was playing the full 90 every time either. He was often coming out for Carlos Perez or whoever, or El Shirari. Um So, you know, in that sense, I thought we were, we were good to go in terms of um, the workload, but um it definitely makes you um you know think for a moment and reconsider you know just how frequently he's playing I think going forward they'll probably be a little more um you know cautious with his usage because um you know with a scare like this it kind of it kind of wakes you up like oh yeah this is this is a 21 22 year old who's (laughs) had two major surgeries not that far removed from him maybe he shouldn't be starting every game um which I know, you know, for him, he's probably going to be pushing to play, but um, long-term, they definitely probably need to reconsider his usage a little bit. Yeah, I haven't seen anything in terms of how long he'll miss yet. Uh, it could have come out this afternoon. I didn't really get a chance to look, but as of this morning, I just saw that it was good news in terms of there was no tears or anything serious. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was fine with the usage up to the point because like you said, he was being subbed out. Uh, I don't think he played the last Conference League match or started the last Conference League match at least. So those kind of matches you know, he missed, I even said on the other podcast I was on during the week, you know, when Zaniolo came up, I said, I, it, it, to me, it was a bit of a blessing in disguise that he was suspended for the Salernitana match. Cause it took his name out of Mourinho's, you know, list to even give him a chance to play. And it gave him an extra day off, you know, sitting at the Italy camp as much as it, it stinks for him to miss like an Italy opportunity with the world cup a year away, probably a good thing when you come back from an injury. And, you know, this is a guy who's maybe the biggest talent in Italy right now. He's up there with Chiesa, Barella, those kind of players to be the biggest talent in Italy. The difference between him and Chiesa and Barella, he wasn't healthy for the Euro. So he didn't really get to show what he could do like Chiesa did. And, you know, we don't want him to have another relapse. You know, if he has another knee injury, God knows what his career will be after that. You know, he's still showing the the physical ability to have a, a top flight career. So hopefully this is just a, maybe a little wake-up call maybe for how Mourinho manages him. Maybe he sits him a little more often against smaller sides, give El Sharari another start or Carlos Perez another start. And, you know, forget the conference league. Don't even play him in the conference league unless we make like the semifinals against Tottenham or something like that, because it, it's not worth it as, as we see here. Um, hopefully he's more of his 80, 90 minute appearances come in the bigger matches. And maybe some of those 60 minute appearances come against like the Fiorentinas of the world or like those mid-level clubs. And, 
maybe give him some of those matches off against the smaller clubs until he's really fully back. But, you know, we don't want him to have that made a glass reputation where, you know, his whole career goes down the tubes because of injuries like this. So, uh, you know, we, we hope he's back soon, but we also hope that Roma manages him well. If he's, if he's fit enough to play against Napoli and Milan in those clubs, you know, hopefully Mourinho does whatever's going to be best for him and for the club at the same time, because you do want to win those matches, but you don't want to lose on yellow for four to six months in the process, because then you're really setting yourself back more than three points are worth. Um, I guess we could, we could say quick, in your opinion, Vertu, was he right to hold on to the penalty uh, that Tammy was asking for it? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I like, personally, I don't like care about like, you know, the hierarchy stuff. I think I lean more towards, um, you know, the player who won, who won it should take it. I know technically that wasn't Abraham, but he did, like you mentioned earlier, he did basically um, create that chance. So I would have been totally fine with Abraham taking it. As for Veritu taking it, I mean, I know like the hierarchy is a thing, so I'm not, I'm not upset at it, but, um, you know, personally I would be like, yeah, sure. Take Tammy, take it. Um, but um I don't know. I'm sure Veritu himself is on, on a little confidence high being with the French national team and all that. So he probably thought, you know, this, this is no problem. I got this. And um, it's really only a conversation because he missed it. But um, as we were talking about earlier, but um, you know, I think, I think if he had made it, the conversation would be, Oh, you know, credit to Tammy for wanting to step up and take it. Um, you know, it shows how much he cares, all that stuff. And it's a little bit of a controversy because he missed it, but um yeah, ultimately, I you know I I, I could carry either, either way. Yeah, you're right. It's only it's only a talking point because he missed it. If he makes it, nobody's talking about should Abraham have taken it the next day because it's one one and and nobody cares at that point, including Abraham, I'm sure. Um, and I'm sure Abraham will make a big deal about it at, in the locker room or anything like that. He understands there's a hierarchy, and I, I understand why a hierarchy exists in situations like this because you don't want players fighting on the pitch or whatever over over spot kicks or you know someone gets fouled like that's not very good at, at penalty kicks. Like we've seen how bad Jekko was in the past on penalty kicks. He was, he was awful for a guy who could score goals. Um, part of me wishes Tammy would have taken it just because you could see he wanted it. Like he was hungry for it. I think he probably would have buried it and he could have skied it too. You know, maybe too much, too much of a, a blood rush to the head and he kicks it over and you, you never know. But um, at the same time, you can see why Ver too would, would say, you know, it's I'm first in the team. He was 13 for 13. Nobody expects him to miss it, including himself. I'm sure. And, and these kind of things happen. So it'll be interesting to see though, if Tammy wins another penalty at some point, if they do let him take it um, because sometimes two strikers in need of a goal, because in, in some ways Tammy does need a goal because he only has two so far. He's kind of had some bad luck. A penalty is a good way to like get you started. You know, one of those little, like either a penalty or a little tap in goal can kind of just build the confidence and, and get him going. And not that Tammy's lacking confidence right now, but it's kind of been like bad luck after bad luck. So who knows? But like, like, like you said, if Vertu makes it, we're not even talking about this the next day. Right. So it is what it is. But one thing I, I noticed, and I think it speaks a lot to Roma's roster right now, we, we hear Mourinho talk a lot about, oh, the difference between us and Juve is, you know, Juve's got Dybala out and this guy out and that guy out right now, but they have a deep bench. And he talks about his own side and says, you know, the difference with us is we don't have a lot of options. Um, he even mentioned that Karsdorp was close to not playing yesterday. I saw, um, in his post-match comments and, you know, then who plays right back at that point, because his other options were Calafiori, 
Kambula and Reynolds. And that would have been interesting. I, I didn't even, I wasn't even aware that Karsdorp was, you know, even an issue, but apparently behind the scenes, it was a little bit. Uh, and then he ends up leading the team in touches. So, but even beyond that, he only made two subs in the whole match. One was forced when El Shari came on for Zaniolo and the other one was Shamoradov. Uh, he came on in, I think the 80th minute almost. Let me just double check the timing. Uh, 81st minute for Ver two when Roma was kind of in the last 10 minutes desperate to try to find that tying goal. They dropped Pellegrini a little deeper and played Shamoradov as another attacking player. Didn't really do much short time for him to make an impact. So, you know, this is post COVID times. You're allowed five substitutions. He made two. Uh, so what does that say about Roma's lack of depth? Is it maybe worse than even we suspected? Um, I guess you can make that argument because, um, you know, offensively, I guess who, who else is there to come on at that point? Um, Carlos, Carlos Perez or Mayoral. Um, I'm probably forgetting somebody, but, you know, I guess that kind of speaks to like the, the level of depth in your attacking options. I think, I think, Roma could have probably done with a with a Perez for Mkhitaryan um, substitution at some point, but you know Mkhitaryan's your most experienced player, and um, you know he he's also ca- capable of creating something out of nothing. So I think on some level I would have liked to see Perez come in for him just to switch it up a little bit. But um, I guess that you know it also speaks to the the level of depth in the team in that department, which. Um, you know, it's funny. We had that that the Q and A question last time, where the um, the listener asked if we threw too much money on the offense um, over the summer, and you know, you know, you could argue that, but also maybe we we there's still more room um, to grow in that department. So I think that kind of shed you know some light on the depth in that department. Yeah, I, I think that's where it really stands out. Uh, you had mentioned Perez or Myral. I'm looking at the available subs. That really was all the only options he had. And we see Myral at this point is his third choice striker. You're not going to bring him on for Tammy at that point. Shamordov was already on. Uh, Carlos Perez would be the other option, maybe for Mikatarian, like you said, because you're probably not taking off Pellegrini. You can't afford to take off Cristante for another attack because then you probably leave yourself too exposed in the midfield. So, you know, who else comes on? And uh, I guess, you know, there was a lot of calls for Carlos Perez early in the season. He had one good match and he, you know, he did all right in the conference league, I think one other time, but clearly, you know, Mourinho doesn't rate him that highly to bring him on against Juve in desperate, you know, in times that you're desperate for a goal. He trusted a Mkhitaryan who had already played 80 minutes, you know, in those last 10 minutes. So it does beg that question. You know, we already talked about the midfield right now. It's Darboe. Uh, it seems to be third choice because, I, I, he was asked about VR prior to the match and somebody said, well, does that mean VR will be in the, the stands? And he goes, why would VR be in the stands? I have 23 roster spots available. He's not starting, but he'll be on the bench. And it was, you know, kind of a, he's a good professional conversation, but he, he you know, there, there was no indication Mourinho values him in that comment. It was just, I have 23 players. Well, yeah, Brandon and I could be in the 23 players and never see the field. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> right. Pietro Boer, the third goalie yeah. for the 23, every, every match. And he never sees the field. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess lack of depth is, is an interesting thing. I mean, I, I could have seen maybe Calafiori come on for Vini at some point if he felt Vini was a little gassed because Calafiori has shown some attacking prowess as a, as a fullback, but. But Vini was also looking dangerous going yeah. too. And so. that, yeah. And that's the thing compared to other matches where Vini looked gassed after an international break, he didn't seem tired. I mean, I mentioned the last big chance for Roma came through him about the 72nd minute. So, um, yeah, I, I guess, you know, Myral's not a game breaker type 
a striker, you know, he's not going to be the guy who creates his own shot so much. And against a low block, I couldn't see him being that effective. And I guess it comes down to, do you value Pettis enough to bring him in? So it'll be interesting to see in these, these upcoming matches. If again, Roma falls behind Napoli or Milan, how Mourinho uses his subs. Uh, hopefully Zaniolo is available because if Zaniolo is not available and then say El Shirari starts, then the, the lack of options really starts to become glaring because that's probably just Shamoradov. And, and that becomes a little, a little iffy. And right back, we've talked about in the past. We know right back, there's no depth. So if Karsdorp does miss one of those matches, you know, it'll be very interesting, especially because Smalling is out, I think. And then you can't really use an Ibanez at right back because then you're risking all of your center backs on the pitch at the same time. So I, I guess Mourinho, for what he's used to having at his disposal at Manchester United, at Tottenham, at Inter, at Real Madrid, to him, this is... Is, is is bare bones on the bench yeah, slim pickings yeah slim pickings um <laughs> i think he likes a lot of the pieces he has but i think when he's a realist in the fact that he sees what roma has and he wants to make it clear i don't think he wants to set any unreal expectations too at the same time do you, do you think that's part of what he's doing by you know saying look at what juve has look at what inter has look at what this team has yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's definitely, um, you know, the the pressure in Rome is kind of infamous at this point for managers. So I think he's doing what he can to kind of temper ex- expectations until, um, you know, he can get this team where he wants it to be. But and so, you know, I understand like the criticism surrounding his comments, particularly like when he's like naming players as like to evidence, you know, <laughs> how slim his options are. I think that's kind of like not the best way to go about it. But um, I think it's just him trying to speak to a larger point about, um, you know, this is a young team and they they don't have the experience that Juve has. And, um, you know, Allegri has the option of um, fielding a strong team while having players who played in Champions League finals out. And we don't have that. Um, so, you know, I think, well, I think the message could have certainly been <laughs> delivered better. Um, if you're Mourinho, I, I, you know, completely understand what he's trying to get at, which is that, you know, it, it's, 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 we're, we're in step one of a process and, um, losing is terrible and nobody wants it, but there are some positives to take away. I think, um, you know, namely not giving up entirely after that first goal, um, and you know trying to force the issue um which is not like we talked about it's not something normally that we've seen in the past against Juve yeah and I I know a lot of comments on Twitter were expecting Mourinho to kind of have like an epic press conference especially after the penalty issue and you know he's great at creating that siege mentality but I have to say I'll read a couple of his comments out loud so the listeners can hear and you can comment on it but he took kind of the glass half full approach he wasn't like so pessimistic in this and he wasn't so much, oh, the refs hate us kind of thing. Um, you know, he was asked after the match, where do you think Roma have already improved the season? And where do you still need to improve to get points from a game like this? And he started by saying, today, all I can say is we were really good. And I've already told my players that. Obviously, we were talking about a game that was lost and didn't get anything from. We can look at the table and see if we didn't add any points. But we were really good in all aspects. I have to congratulate everyone within the organization from the medical department who worked so hard to get our players fit to some of the players themselves who put in a real effort to play in this game, probably namely Abraham and Karzorp and Vina. Uh, we all worked together as a group in order to put in a great performance, one full of concentration, confidence, and courage. Obviously, it's a defeat and it will always be a defeat in my eyes. But if I look at it in terms of the project, 
if I look at the growth of the squad and the way they are playing, then I can be wrong. I have different perspectives to you all, but I think that the team deserved to win the game most is the, is the one that lost, but that's football. So really, I, I don't know if I expected a comment like that from Mourinho post-match considering the way the game played out. Yeah, I don't, I didn't either, to be honest. Um, but, uh, you know, we've commented um, a little bit about how it seems like we're getting a different Mourinho from previous, you know, stops that he's been at. So, and you know, that, that, that um, those quotes are kind of in line with, this you know newfound um or this new look Mourinho I guess you can call it um but um you know to 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 go back to his points though um I I, you know I kind of agree with him I think you know the the loss stings but you can kind of account for a loss to one of the big sides over the course of the year and you know this is not this is this isn't one of those games where you look at the calendar and you you know you um you circle it and say that's three points guaranteed no problem um so you know when it doesn't go the go, go your way you look to the to the performance um and similarly to the Lazio game where I thought we outplayed them for mm-hmm. um a lot of stretches we outplayed Juve and um again you know didn't get down and all that good stuff so um you know, it's, it's, I know probably some people who are, who, who live for the Mourinho theatrics are disappointed, but um, <laughs> it, it's, it's good to see that, you know, he's, he's, um, he's managing the expectations with the squad that he has right now. Yeah. For some people that were maybe expecting calamity in Rome with, you know, the <laughs> fires of Rome burning, right. Mourinho, I, I think, I think he, like you said, it's kind of a new Mourinho. He realizes the project he's in for, he signed up for a three-year project. He's talked about this before. He knows this isn't a, a powerhouse team like he inherited at Real Madrid or anything. Um, he was asked about, you know, the penalty and the and the the journalist said, you seemed more angry about the three minutes of stoppage time at the end. He goes, yes, because that's something obvious. That's something that shows up. It's different to the episode for the penalty, which I don't want to comment on. He said he didn't have all the details at the time, whatever. So he even admitted he was more pissed about the, the three minutes of stoppage time because maybe with five, Roma has a chance to throw another ball or two into the box. Um, but he did end that comment by saying, I, I hope that the comments I heard from Juventus in the changing room, one of them will also say publicly because my team weren't that. And they said, well, what did you hear from them? And he said they played well, that they found it really difficult and that they know very well how football can end up sometimes because they're all experienced professionals. I won here a few years ago with Manchester United without really deserving much from the game. And today instead I lost with my team with our qualities and, and our defects. Uh, we put in a performance that really shows the direction we are heading in. But as I've said, a defeat is a defeat. And the cruel reality is that it's zero points for a say. So, uh, and the, the journalist followed up. So you mean that Juventus were complimented about Roma's display? And he said, exactly. So, I mean, if that's the truth, and there was actually a comment from Max Allegri also post-match where he said, Roma deserved at least a draw. There are games that you play with episodes and this time they went in our favor. I think Juve is pretty acknowledging, pretty much acknowledging that they were fortunate to come away with three points here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, it's um, like, you know, I guess it's some form of moral victory to hear that. Um, but it, you know, it, it goes to show that, um, you know, the progress the team is making under Mourinho. I think we're we're turning into one of those teams that, um. And we you know we are a big club, especially in Italy. But um, I guess you know, as as the saying goes, that that no team wants to play. I think we're turning into one of those. Um, 
because you know in seasons past with our with our record against these big clubs i'm sure to some extent um they you know probably would have been like okay of the of the big squads in italy we're probably going to be able to beat roma but mm-hmm. um that you know with with quotes like that 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 um you know that notion is shifting um and i it's it's going to get to the point where um the you know the last two games against Lazio and Juve we we played them well we've had stretches where we were um had control of the game and i think at a point the 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 switch is going to fully um flip and we're going to start winning these games and hopefully with some frequency yeah and and you would expect like you said they're not the embarrassing losses like we saw last year to Lazio and, and Atalanta and uh, a couple of the other matches where they were just run out of the park by the, uh, by the other big quote unquote, big sides, you know, Roma, like you said, has been in these matches and probably deserved a lot more than the zero points. They have at least a couple draws out of the two matches. So that's a good sign. And because, you know, when you lose like Roma lost a couple times last year, three, nothing in the Derby and then blowing elite Atalanta and losing, it really has to weigh on you mentally. These are, these are moral victories in a sense for a team that's starting a project that's under new manager. That's, looking to improve um you know and Mourinho talked about that he said that I told the players when you play in a game like that you can't let yourself go home with regrets you have to go home realizing that you did well that you were as good as your opponents and even better perhaps than them um and then he talked to us something we kind of mentioned earlier Brandon about players like Chiesa he said we had a game plan for this one we stopped them from counterattacking completely even though we wanted to play pretty high up the pitch we still managed to stop them on the counter which is pretty good when Juventus have really dangerous players on the counter like Quadrado and Chiesa and like we mentioned, Chiesa, but also Quadrado was pretty quiet. So um, I guess if if that's how Mourinho game planned, he did the team executed for the most part. Yeah, for sure. Um, it really makes you uh, lament the fact that we're in the Conference League because yeah. um, you know if you think about what what the game plans could be if you have a whole week to prepare and not really have to worry about these midweek matches um, in these random countries across Europe you know, that's, that's a really, um, it's a, it's a promising thought to have. And, um, but, you know, we we won't want to get into Europe. So, you know, we we kind of have to deal with these, these midweek European fixtures, but, um, you know, it, it, you know, Mourinho is one of the the best managers in the world for a reason. So it's not really a surprise that um, he's able to effectively game plan still, even though he does get a lot, a good hard time still from Man U and Tottenham fans. Yeah, and, and so far, the, the game plans have been good. You know, when Chiesa's silenced, that, that's a good sign from the game plan and from the players executing the game plan because the manager could have any game plan he wants, but if the players don't execute, then it, it's worthless. Um, and you're right. When we qualified for the Conference League last year, I was in some ways kind of hoping we didn't win that last game of the season last year because giving Mourinho full weeks to game plan some of these matches, like especially Napoli coming up this week, would have been uh, uh, so much more interesting because he'd have so much time to key in on Spalletti's tactics and things like that. Um, but just before we look ahead, you know, I think there was one more comment oh, here. This was an interesting comment he had that I just want to finish with before we go to the, the Napoli and the, the conference league match for this coming week quickly is he said to his players at halftime, I told the players that we were not going to draw the game. We would win it or we would lose it because if we scored one goal, then they would have found themselves in real trouble the difficulty of scoring against a side that feels comfortable defending when they have that low block, then it is not easy to score, but nevertheless, we played well. And I want to congratulate my players for that. It was a good Roma display and I'm happy with the way the squad is developing and trying to play. And 
I think I, I kind of agree. If they had found a goal, I, I think it would have been Roma 2-1 or, you know, we lose one nothing because I, I feel like Roma really would have been on the front foot if they had found a goal. Yeah, that actually is a comment that I wanted to make earlier and I forgot to, um, is that, um, you know, I, I, I did feel that when that, that equalizer came that we would probably get a second at some point just because that forces Juve to open up um push for that second goal because um you know they're not going to be content with a draw either and I, I i generally like that um that comment from Mourinho just because um you know i th- i think if you look at the standings we've we haven't drawn yet this season and um it kind of it kind of speaks to that that mentality that Mourinho's getting in that comment where um you know, we're, we're not content with the draw and we're going to, we're going to push for the equalizer. And after that, we're going to push for the winner. And, you know, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, but, you know, we're going to push for these things, um, which, you know, as, as we keep talking about, it's um, really nice to hear. Yeah. So certainly some, some positives to take from the match. I know, you know, a lot of people point out they still weren't great in the attack. They, they didn't create the most dangerous chances, but I think if you look deeply, there are some positives and hear Marine, you talk like that knowing Mourinho's reputation, I think if he was disappointed, he would have made it known. Um, so good to hear. Good to see that Allegri admitted that, you know, Rum was good enough in the day to at least get a draw. So those are those are moral victories. And again, both of these losses against big sides so far have been road matches. You know, Lazio plays in the Olympico too, but we didn't have 30,000 Roma fans behind us. And uh, I'd be curious to see in the return, like against Juve, if Roma can not concede too early in the match, if they can really go at this Juventus side with, with all they have and really give Juve a real game and a real run for their money. But, you know, that's in the future, more, more in the near term. Let's look ahead to the conference league quickly and then maybe just talk about how this maybe match affects us heading into next weekend because next weekend it's another big match before we, we meet again. So conference league Thursday, Roma League Group C on six points. Uh, Bodo Glimmint, I, I think is how you pronounce it, is second on four points. They're from Norway. The match is up in Bodo in Norway, so Roma do have to travel a bit of a distance. What are your expectations for this match on Thursday, Brandon? Um, I'm probably expecting something more in line with the last Conference League match where there was heavy turnover and, um, um, you, you know, you saw a lot of new faces in the 11. I think the priority now is probably to get back tra- back on track with the league. Um you know, now you, what are we at? Three wins, three losses, I think. Um, Four wins, three losses, I think. Okay, yeah. five, five and three, five wins, three losses. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's my bad for being too behind, but you know, that's still, that's still way closer than we would like to see. So, um, you know, in terms of where the points are, are at. So I think the focus is going to be on capturing, uh, recapturing their form in the league. And so, and, you know, I, I know we're always afraid to jinx this, but this is a game that we should win with our second 11. So, um, you know, I, they're, they're going to want to get back to winning ways, but I think it's more important to get back to winning ways in the league. And especially when you have Napoli on the weekend, there's really no reason to play, you know, beyond more than two or three of your, your starting 11 in this match. Agreed. I, I expect heavy turnover, just like we saw the last conference league match. I think really only like three of the regulars played. I think it should be more of the same. Probably Rui Patricio because goaltenders, you don't really have to worry about fatigue as much. You'll put him back there. Obviously, one of Mancini or Ibanez has to play because of the current, you know, smalling injury. So I think probably Kambula plays with one of them and the other gets a rest. Uh, and then, you know, throwing Calafiotti, maybe Reynolds gets a look. Who knows? Um, I think Darboe gets a look. Uh, 
I kind of hope he rests both Vertu and Cristante. Maybe one of them does play with Darboe because we've seen Diwara and VR not get much love from Mourinho. But I think even in the attack, you know, rest Tammy, especially considering the ankle, you know, he just, you know, for all we know, it's probably swollen today after, you know, playing on it after such a short, short time. I've had those ankle sprains playing football when I was in high school and, and they, they take some time to really settle down. It takes time, especially when you're playing on it. Um, and I, you know, give Carlos Perez, give these guys some run. And, and I think the same, it should be a, a match you can win with your second eleven. Even if you go there and you draw, you know, at worst case scenario, what's the difference? You're still up in the in the the group with seven points, and you you have this team coming to Rome two weeks from now, so or three weeks from now, whatever it is. Uh, I think more important, like you said, you got to get back on track for Napoli. So let's talk quickly about that before we close. And how does this loss affect Roma moving forward with un- unbeaten Napoli ahead? This is Roma's first home match against the big side, but Napoli is eight wins in eight matches so far. So how do you see them? Uh, preparing for that considering the loss? So I think that the, the you know, I, I, th- I think they'll be confident coming out of um, the performances against Lazio and Juve to think that they can go toe-to-toe with Napoli. I think the concern for me is if, you know, having lost against Juve now, which not only um, was important just in terms of your um, – where, where you're at mentally against the the top the top teams, but also in the race for the Champions League, um, you know, is a big match, and to not win that is disappointing. And I, for me, the concern is whether a if there's a hangover for that, b if you know if the um, the struggles we have against the big side starts to come into their heads even more. I think Mourinho's done a good job of getting that out of their system for at least these first two matches based on the way we played um, and responded from going down. But at a point, you know, say, say we go down early again against Napoli. That's when I'm, I think we'll see the work that Mourinho has done thus far in terms of the mentality, because um, especially previous iterations of this team, that that would be such a crushing moment after the last two results against the big team. So you know, hopefully they get a goal, but I'm curious to see how they will respond if, um, you know, they concede first, which wouldn't really surprise me just, you know, because of how hot Napoli's been. But um, I certainly think they can give Napoli a game of it, and I don't think there will be any major hangovers, at least for the first, at least any major hangover from the Juve game the first 10, 15 minutes of the Napoli one. Yeah, I expect them to come out pretty confident considering they know they they played pretty well they know they could have taken some from Juve I'd be more worried about them coming out flat against Milan if they lose to Napoli because then they then the snowball effect like you said kind of starts happening again and this is Roma's first match against a big side at home and we've seen the Olympico crowds have been good so far you know they're back to 75 percent capacity so if you're putting like 40 something thousand people in that stadium and Roma come out on the front foot like they did against Juve and don't concede in the first 15 minutes the crowd can really become a factor too. I think, you know, Napoli look, they're good. They're eight, you know, they're eight, you know, for a reason, but they've also had their, their tough times. Like yesterday it took to a pretty late goal. I think Osiman scored somewhere on the 80th minute. Yes. Insigne missed a penalty in the first half that could have had them up ahead by more um, against Fiorentina the week before they ended up winning two, one, I believe that was a the match they were down. Uh, so, you know, it'll be interesting with Spalletti coming back. He did come back with Inter, but this is a different circumstance. I, I, the thing I'm really curious to see, and, and this will be interesting because we don't have Smalling available, so we're, we're with Mancini Nibanez, who had a pretty good match yesterday. 
but Osiman's been one of the best strikers in Serie A. He's got five goals now, and and he's he's a tank. You know, he's like uh, a striker version of Zaniolo in some ways. He's not you know tall and lean like Tammy is. And I'll be curious to see how Ibanez and Mancini really handle him because you know he's going to be up for the the one on one battles and the, the aerial duels and and going at those two. So that that could be uh, one of the the big things to watch because you know Roma's going to have to handle him. Uh, hopefully, you know Karsdorp can somewhat contain Insigne because we've seen him with his curlers coming in from the left and curling it across the face of goal. Um, and then the midfield will be interesting because one thing that Napoli did was they brought in a defensive midfielder Roma never did in Inguisa and he was a player Roma was linked with. So I'm curious to see how he plays because I haven't really had a chance to watch Napoli too closely yet this season. So that could be interesting too. And then I'm, I'm going to assume at this point Zaniolo is probably out on Sunday. Um, we don't know the extent of it, but I don't know how quickly they want to bring him back. So we'll see how Roma's attack, you know, really responds. Hopefully they can, they can bounce back after being shut out by, by, uh, by Juve um, because Koulibaly's back there. So th- these will be the, the matches. It's fun to see Tammy and see how Tammy responds. Like what, what matchups are you really looking at in, in a match against Napoli? Uh, well, you know, the first one's the, the Tammy and the Koulibaly matchup, as you were talking about, I think I, I love Koulibaly. I love watching him play. So um It'll be it'll be interesting how Tammy fares, especially you know, uh, with with Chiellini and Bonucci. Um, the last game, this is <laughs> this is a heavy heavy hitter right there too that he has to deal with, and Mano lost too. Um, so that's you know for me that's what I'm looking forward to the most. But also, um, I'm I'm curious to see how Pellegrini rebounds following the Juve game. Um, especially with, with what you were saying, um, how important Anguisa has been for Napoli. I'm curious to mm. see that matchup too and how those two go at it. Um, and I, I hope it's not one of those games where Anguisa does so well and it really highlights like, see, this is why we need a defensive midfielder <laughs> for games like this. Um, so yeah, I would say those two are what I'm looking forward to the most watching. Yeah, good point about Pellegrini because Inguisa is probably going to key on him, you'd think, as the as the main attacking midfielder. And yeah, you're right. I think Napoli, I think it's a loan with obligation to buy for like 15 million. So if he really shines, it'll it'll really uh, make you think, well, maybe we should have made that move. I know Coop, Coop Miners had a good game for Adelanza, some people pointed out yesterday. So <laughs> as, as we play these different uh, tar, you know, targeted players, if we, if we were really targeting them, we'll be interesting to see. But we won't make any bold predictions ahead of the Napoli match. I certainly won't. I don't think Brandon wants to either. Um, but um, before we go, Brandon, anything you want to leave the listeners with? No, just um, I am trying my best to keep the faith until the Napoli match. But then, and then, you know, I will, I will uh, see if I'm going to fall back into my pessimistic Roma ways. But until that game, I will be optimistic and um, hope for the best. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I'm keeping my optimism at least in th- in, until the Napoli match. We said, you know, if Roma came out with four points say, out of these three big matches, we would have called that a pretty decent stretch. They still have a shot at six. So hopefully, Having Napoli and Milan come to the Olympico gives Roma at least enough of a boost to find four points. Um, you know, keep uh, keep an eye on the site for all of our regular match day coverage. We've got another two-match week coming up. Uh, if you didn't check out, Brandon did a, a Squid Game-related uh, piece related to Roma. Please uh, watch if you haven't. Please watch. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, you know, our Sinners and Saints came out today and all that other good stuff. So thanks again for listening. And uh, as always you know, leave comments, any suggestions you might have, anything you want us to talk about, let us know in the comments section or on uh, Twitter.